How are your acting skills, India? My employer, Matthew Glass, asked me. We sat at diagonal opposites in the broom, our knees bumping when the coachman took the corners too fast, something he did at regular intervals. Matt had hired the fellow after winning the broom in a poker match only a week before. We'd ridden in it every day since, visiting watchmakers throughout the city, but today we were on our way to the Bank of England in Threadneedle Street. That's an odd question, I said. They're adequate, I suppose, as long as I'm not asked to remember entire Shakespearean soliloquies. I never was very good at memorizing the classics. Why do you ask? Can you play the part of a concerned granddaughter? Ah, I see now. What a clever idea. I'll try my best, but I can't promise I won't be tripped up by a clever clerk. We were heading to the Bank of England in an attempt to find out if a watchmaker named Mirth continued to collect the guild allowance that was paid regularly into his account. He could be the watchmaker named Kronos, whom Matt needed to fix his life-giving watch, a watch that he required more frequently every day to restore his health. Although Abercrombie, the master of the Watchmakers Guild, had assured me that Mirth wasn't the right fellow, I didn't trust him. The horrid man had tried to have me arrested on false charges of theft, and refused to allow me into the Guild. It wouldn't surprise me if he had lied about Mirth to detract us from our search. Aside from Mirth... We'd not learned of any other watchmakers who were the right age and had been overseas five years ago when the mysterious Kronos had teamed up with a magical doctor to save Matt's life in America. We couldn't rule him out yet. Not until we'd seen him. I'm sure you'll be up to the challenge, Matt said with a small smile that didn't quite reach his tired eyes. Despite the tiredness... He looked particularly handsome in a new charcoal grey suit delivered yesterday by his tailor. He cut a fine figure with his long legs, broad shoulders, and dark hair framing a face made up of strong angles and smooth skin. I often found myself studying his intriguing features and wondering how much more handsome he would be if tiredness didn't plague him. Just remember Mirth's personal details and you should be believed, he assured me. Oliver Warwick Mirth, I recited from memory. Date of birth, April 9th, 1820. Recently residing at the Aged Christian Society on Sackville Street. However, he went missing and we, his family, are very concerned. And your name? I frowned at him. We hadn't been given names of his family by the society. A staff member there had provided Mirth's personal information after Matt passed him some money, but he'd not mentioned family. No one had visited Mirth at the residence. We knew from Abercrombie that Mirth had a daughter, however. I could be that daughter's daughter. Jane, I announced. Jane Bland. Will that suffice? He studied me with a wry twist of his mouth. He had an easy countenance and an expressive face, one that made his thoughts clear. Usually, there were times when he schooled his features to keep his thoughts to himself. He was as good at that as he was at making people feel comfortable in his presence when he chose. 
You don't look like a Jane Bland. Oh? What does a Jane Bland look like? Small. You do realize that women like to be considered small, and that you have just insulted me? I added a smile so that he'd know I wasn't hurt by his observation. Truly, I wasn't. I may not have the tiny waist of many females, because I didn't lace my corset to painful extremes, but I had a generous bosom and was tall enough that I could reach the top shelf in the pantry, yet short enough that a man like Matt towered over me. At twenty-seven, I'd become used to my proportions and accepted them as being as much a part of me as my straight brown hair and greenish eyes. Let me rephrase that, he said a pink tint blooming on his cheeks. Jane Bland sounds like someone who blends into the background. You do not.